to Wednesday evening chapel. It is our privilege this evening to have Dr. Jay Ott. He's our registrar and director of Christian Education Ministries here. Let's welcome Dr. Ott. Thank you, Dr. Ott, for being with us this evening. Let's all stand as we begin our time in worship. Psalms 36 says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, and your justice like the great deep. How priceless is your unfailing love. How priceless is your unfailing love. I'm so thankful for God's love. Remain standing as we pray. Let's pray. Lord, as we think of your love, it's easy for us to uh, just assume that, that we know it well. But we pray this evening, Lord, that you will, through your Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation, that you will reveal to us again a new understanding a new depth of your love. Not just so that we may know it, but that we may experience it anew and be transformed by it. It is with that desire that we present ourselves to you this evening in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read for us again the passage that is uh, our theme for this year, and particularly uh, our emphasis uh, for this trimester. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Now, how many of you enjoy a good mystery? All right, very good. Well, when I read that passage, I'm faced with this huge mystery. And it's the mystery of, okay, Paul, you tell us about a spirit of love, but you haven't really defined what that spirit of love is. And so when I was preparing for tonight's message, that, that mystery kept coming up to me. What is Paul really talking about here? What is this spirit of love that God has given to us that is able to drive out of our lives that fear? So, following the sound principles of biblical exegesis that we receive from doctors King and Powers, I read the whole book of 2 Timothy. Surely somewhere here, Paul needs to tell Timothy, if you are going to receive this spirit of love, this is what it is. Guess what? He doesn't define it anywhere. So, 
I said, okay, if it's not in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, let me read 1 Timothy. And so I read the whole book of 1 Timothy. Guess what? It's not there. Nowhere in 1 Timothy does Paul define specifically this is the spirit of love. So being the good investigator that I am, I went on to the book of Ephesians. And amazingly, sounds of heaven began to play. And as I read verse by verse through Ephesians, for the very first time, I saw and the Spirit revealed to me this glorious image of the love of God. And chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it was as if the, the Spirit was pulling the, the wrapping from this gift. And he began to say, here, here is the gift that I offer to you. So tonight, I want us to go through the book of Ephesians, uh, verse by verse. No, I'm not going to do verse by verse, okay? But we're going to be looking at quite a few passages in Ephesians. So I encourage you to get your Bible and to follow along with me. Now, as you are doing that, I, I think it's important for us to, to look at one aspect of the gift of love before we get into Ephesians, and that is, if you have a gift, you always also have to have a recipient. We know that God is the giver, but, but who is he giving the gift to? And in this particular passage, 2 Timothy 1.7, the recipient is... Louder? No. Timothy. Yes, yes. What good Bible scholars we have here. That, okay, that was a difficult one. Now, so who is Timothy. You'll know, notice that Timothy is very much like all of you. Timothy was a ministerial student in the famous, world-renowned St. Paul Bible College of Asia Minor. And like many of you, it took, Paul, it took Timothy a great number of years to graduate from St. Paul's. But at the time of the writing of the letters, Timothy has graduated. And he finds himself in his first ministry assignment. And I bet none of you can guess where that is. 
Ephesus. Yes. Wonderful. Man, you guys are really on it tonight. And so here's Timothy. He's in this first ministry assignment with all of the joys and all of the challenges that come with that. And so, as Paul is writing to Timothy in his letters, much of what he has to say to Timothy is going to be relevant to each one of you because you're facing much of the same situations as Timothy. What he writes in Ephesians, the principles of love that we see revealed there are going to be relevant and applicable to the situations in which Timothy finds himself in the, in the letters that Paul writes to him. So let's jump into the book of Ephesians. And right from chapter 1, Paul begins to unwrap this gift of love. And it's in chapter 1 that we see the seeds of love. Look with me, chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And these blessings to which Paul refers are actually the seeds of the love of God in our lives. Now, before we look at these seeds, in verse 4, Paul says, this is why I have give, God has given us these blessings. And he says, for God chose us in him, Christ, before the creation of the world, here it comes, to be holy and blameless in his sight. So the whole function of this gift of love that God gives to us and the blessings, these seeds of love, where it begins, the whole purpose of that is so that you and I can be holy and blameless in the sight of God. So what are these seeds that make that possible in our lives? We see the first seed in verse 5. Paul says, In love, God predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. And so the very first seed of love is this act of God wherein he adopts us. And in verse 7, Paul defines for us and explains to us what it means for us to be adopted as children of God. He says, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Later in this epistle, Paul reminds us, each and every one of you were once dead. 
Not only were you dead, but you were objects of God's wrath. You had no relationship with him. There was no ability for God to work in your life in a positive way. In relationship to God, you were dead. Worse than that, you were under his curse. But in love, God has adopted you. And his love begins in this gracious act that transforms our relationship with him and makes it possible for us to exchange God's wrath for his favor. First seed, we have been adopted by God. Second seed, verses 9 through 10. Paul writes, And God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I have always struggled with this passage. What in the world is Paul talking about when he says that, that God has made known to us this mystery? And then suddenly it, it just clicked. Paul's talking about insider trading. You know what that is, don't you? That's where someone gives you some information that allows you to make a whole bunch of money. Right? Okay. It's like this. If you knew today that in six months, every crop in the United States was going to be completely and totally destroyed, you would take that information, you'd go to Russia, and you would buy as much wheat and corn and beans as you could, and you would pay a dollar a bushel for it. You'd set it aside, and then in six months, what would you do? When everything in America is destroyed, guess what? Those crops that you bought at a dollar a bushel, you would be selling at $20 a bushel. That's insider trading. Guess what? God has revealed information to us that gives us insight into what He's doing in the world and where everything's going in the future. He says, this is where it's going to end up. And guess what? Now that you are my children, I invite you to come 
and be a part of the family business. You come, you invest your life in my work. And out of that investment, you will reap the rewards and the riches of my kingdom. That's love. Second seed, the mystery. Third seed, verse 11. In Jesus we were also chosen. Thankfully, Paul tells us what he means by chosen in verses 13 through 14. You are also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What he's describing here is in Jewish society. When a parent was ready to retire and to uh, hand over his estate to his heirs, he would take that estate and he would divide it in portions according to the number of heirs that he had. And then all of those who were heirs would take a piece of wood or a piece of pottery and would, would put their name, their mark on that, and they would put it together in a pot. They'd shake it up and keep shaking until one of those pieces of wood or one of those pieces of pottery would fall out. And when that would fall out, that would be the indication that the person whose name was on that was ordained by God to receive that portion of the inheritance. And what God is telling us, that since we are now adopted heirs... <laughs> and we are part of the family business, and we are investing ourselves, we've been invited to invest ourselves in the, in the kingdom that God has guaranteed us by the seal of his Holy Spirit that we will receive that portion that God has ordained for us. The inheritance of Jesus Christ. And what is the inheritance of Jesus Christ? It's everything. But not only everything on, in this world, we are told that when Jesus Christ was glorified, God handed over to him the keys of the kingdom all the resources of God that abide in glory and every dominion and power and authority. And out of love, God says, I have a portion for you. These are the seeds, but 
when we have seeds and we plant these seeds, what happens? If we tend them properly, hopefully anyway, they begin to grow and blossom and bloom. And it's the blossoms and the blooms that are the signs of life that are coming from the seeds, right? Well, Paul goes on in Ephesians, and he begins to lay out for us and reveal for us and unwrap this gift of love, and he says, here are the blooms of love that are the evidences of the work of these seeds, the love of God in your life. Blossom number one, verse 17 Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. When God's love is active in our lives, it will result in a knowledge of him. And the word that Paul uses for knowledge here means a precise, correct, and intimate understanding that results in an, in an influence or a power over one's life. How many of you know that when we're born into this world, we have a really messed up and strange idea of who God is? And it's usually because we define him and we picture him in our own image. But Paul says, out of God's love, when these seeds are planted in our lives, the first thing that begins to happen is that God reveals himself to us and we begin to see him as he really is. And as we see him as he is, that knowledge of him begins to transform us so that he's not a reflection of us, but we become a reflection of him. First blossom of love in our lives. Second blossom, verse 18, Paul says, that you may know the hope to which God has called you. And hope is the confident assurance of a blessed or a positive outcome and future. When we have the seeds of love in our lives, one of the ways that that begins to work in us and, and one of the evidences of God's love within us is that we have hope. And it is the hope, Paul says, of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In other words, our hope is that this inheritance that has been given to Jesus Christ already and of which has been ordained for us a portion That inheritance, our hope, is that we see, begin to see and recognize the work of that inheritance in our own lives. We understand that through God and through this inheritance, 
by the power of his love, God begins to expand and extend his own kingdom. The reign and righteousness of Jesus Christ into the lives of others. And that work, that evidence of the inheritance of Jesus Christ in us <laughs> creates in us hope for the future. For we begin to see that we are a part of that great kingdom and that great work that God began in Jesus Christ. Blossom number three. Verse 19, Paul says that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he goes on to describe what that power is. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. When the seeds of God's love are planted in our lives, <laughs> one of the evidences of their working in us is this resurrection power that God demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Timothy and the Ephesians would have been very familiar with this resurrection power because it was at Ephesians, at Ephesus, where we are told that God gave the ability for extraordinary miracles to Paul so that people would bring handkerchiefs and aprons and Paul would pray over them and touch them and all they had to do was take these handkerchiefs and take these aprons and lay them on people who were sick, people who were filled with demons and the moment that they touched them, they were healed and they were delivered. That's resurrection power. And they knew it. They were familiar with it. But it was also at Ephesus where the union of silversmiths saw that they were losing their livelihood because so many people were converting to Jesus Christ that they rose up and they created a mob. And out of that mob, Paul had to move on. But even in that, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ was evident because we are told that the word didn't stop there. But out of Ephesus, the truth of Jesus Christ flowed across the whole of Asia Minor. That you may know his incomparably 
great power. And when these seeds of love become implanted in our lives, that love begins to work through us and we see these evidences. But blooms and blossoms are not the end. If you're a horticulturalist, easy to say, you also know that where you have blooms and blossoms, you have what? Fruit, eventually, right? Well, Paul goes on to help us to understand that when the, that when the gift of love is evident in our lives, it will result in fruitfulness. In chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, I pray out of the, his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And the reason, the purpose for this power of the spirit is so in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And the moment I read that, I went back to the Gospel of John where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and as you abide in me, you will become fruitful. And so as, as Jesus Christ abides in us and dwells in us, we will begin to see the fruit of love in our lives. First fruit, verse, chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of the, to all, to the measure of all the fullness of God. In this passage... He shows us three fruits of the love of God in our lives. First fruit, we will be rooted and established in love. Rooted means to become an offspring or an offshoot. At our home in Falcon, Marsha and I, when we first bought it, we had a lilac tree, lilac bush in the front. I hated that thing. Because it was always sending out shoots all over our yard. And if I didn't keep cutting them down, they would pop up everywhere. And every shoot, every offspring was an exact replica of that first bush. When we are rooted in love, we become an offspring of Jesus Christ an exact replica of who he is. But we will also be established. It means to lay a foundation that makes stable and fixed. It hasn't been that long ago that we experienced Hurricane Sandy, and I can remember the pictures from New York and from New Jersey. And the one that stuck with me the most was Atlantic City, the boardwalk there. And I remember that Ferris wheel. But now, it was just a twisted, 
hunk of metal in the middle of the ocean. God tells us that in love, when we become rooted and established, it doesn't matter the winds and the waves that come our way that we face. Those winds and those waves will never be able to separate us from God's love. And our lives will constantly be a reflection of that love. Second fruit, that we will have the power to grasp the width, length, height, and depth of the love of Christ. To grasp is a military term. It means to put under so as to gain victory. It's two opposing enemies. And one of them beats the other until he overcomes him and gains the victory over him. It's the image that we are to so grasp every dimension of the love of God in Jesus Christ that we willingly place ourselves completely and totally under that love. And in every circumstance in our lives, we experience the victory of Jesus Christ. Third fruit, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. And now we come to the ultimate definition of the gift of love and find out that it's God himself. Paul says when we have the seeds of fruit in our lives, and we begin to see the blossoms, the activity of that love in our lives, it will result in this, that we will be so filled with God, with every dimension of God, that we cannot receive anymore. You take a cup, you pour water into it until it's full, and you say, oh, maybe a little bit more. So you take an eyedropper, and you begin to put drops of water in there one at a time. And if you look closely, what begins to happen is the water actually begins to bulge up and over the top of the cup. And you get to that point where you know without any question that if you put even one more drop in, it all just goes gushing over the sides. We can live in such a way that we are so full of God, so full of his love, <laughs> that we can't take one more drop. And when we are so full with God, the great thing about it is there's no room for anything else in our lives <laughs> except for him. I'm almost done here. Thank you for hanging in with me. Paul says there's one more thing we need to understand about love. Fruit doesn't do you any good as long as it's still on the tree, right? You have to harvest it. And so he talks about the promise of love, which is the harvest. In verse Chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in, G in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. 
in these verses we see the potential of the harvest. Paul says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And what he is saying to us is, even as we have discovered and had revealed to us these dimensions of the gift of love, as much as we can imagine what that love means to us and and what it will do in our lives, guess what? It's not even the beginning of what God can accomplish in us. We look at it and we say, We plant a fruit tree and we expect a harvest of 10 bushels. And God says to us, that's not near enough. I will give you 10 times 10 bushels. But not only do we see the potential of the harvest, we see the certainty of the harvest. Paul expresses this in the phrase, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. God was saying to Timothy, I'm not just the God of Paul's generation. I am your God too. What I did in and through Paul, I will do in and through you. And what God is saying to each and every one of us here tonight is, I'm not just the God of Timothy's generation. I'm not just the God of Wesley's generation. I'm not just the God of Brzee's generation. What my love accomplished in and through them, it will accomplish through you, and it will, and it will accomplish it in your Ephesus, wherever that may be. One last passage. The instrument of the harvest. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 15. Paul says, It was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, so that speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head That is Christ. What is Paul saying? He's saying, Timothy, you're just the beginning. You are only the first garden. I've given you my love. So out of the harvest of my love in your life, I can continue to plant garden after garden after garden until Jesus Christ returns. Timothy, you are my gift of love to so many more people. You will never imagine. The mystery revealed. What is love? It's seeds that God plants in our lives. 
that blossom and prove the work of his life in us. It's the fruit that transforms us into the likeness of that love. It's the promise and the certainty. What is love? Love is you, right? Kevin, love is you. Kevin, love is you. Bob, love is you. The fruit of Jesus Christ, Joe, Trevor. Love is you. What does God want us to know about his love? It doesn't matter what fears you're facing. It doesn't matter the timidity that you may be experiencing. It may just simply be the challenges of education at NBC. It may be those barriers that you think are keeping you from achieving God's purpose in your life. It may be feelings of insecurity. Lord, will I ever get this? It doesn't matter the fear or the timidity. God says, I want you to know my love. And when you know my love, it'll chase all of that out of your life. And you will become that garden of God out of which the seeds he'll take to replant that garden in the lives of others. Let me pray for you. Oh God, What a precious gift that you've given to us. That we should receive this love. And out of this love, you would chase from our lives every hint of fear and timidity. Lord, I pray for every student that's gathered in this sanctuary. Each one of us, Lord, is Timothy. You've called us to ministry. We've committed ourselves to this preparation. 
and someday we will be in that first ministry assignment. And Satan will make sure that there are reasons plenty to be timid and fearful. But God, we covet your love for each and every one of these students. May they know it. May they experience it. May they be transformed by it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.